Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on Tuesday afternoon, May 3rd. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Some investors are making their decisions along political lines. We'll discuss the wisdom of that in our next segment. But right now, reports on job openings and orders for factory goods lead today's data. Let's see what they signal. We're joined by Bob Brusca, chief economist, fact and opinion economics based in New York. Bob, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Let's start with factory orders for manufactured goods rising 2.2% in April. That is much stronger than expected. Uh, What does that tell us about the state of the overall economy, even in this time of record inflation? Yes, well, we had uh, some pretty good strength in in non-durable goods uh, shipments and orders, uh, and that helped to move this number up. Uh, You know, this number is a number that reissues the durable goods statistic revises it and adds non-durables to it so we we had a good bit of this number already in our pocket and what this shows is stronger non-durable goods substantially um oil if you take the oil and the food out of the number it's not nearly as strong so um it, it doesn't to me look like anything that's that's blowing away it's uh it's a good firm report and durable goods orders and shipments continue to show firmness and uh, more strength than we saw in, say, the manufacturing ISM that came out yesterday. And is this the type of thing that can uh, help or hurt the Fed's argument regarding interest rate hikes? And is this the kind of thing that interest rate hikes, this type of investment, is that the thing an interest rate hike would slow down? Yes. (laughs) Um, I would say these numbers are, you know, roughly supportive of the Fed, you know, raising rates, uh, 50 basis points, which they seem to be prepared to do, and to make plans to raise them more. But on, on that score, the thing we have to think about, you know, people are talking about, you know, much higher Fed funds rates, some 4%, some 4.5%, some 5%. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm only a con- an economist. So what do I know about those things? Um, but what I think is that we will never see numbers like that because if we head in that direction, the economy will be first be plunged into recession. So I think when we start forecasting numbers like this, we've got to remember that dynamics are set in place. You raise the Fed funds rate, you have an impact on the bond market, the mortgage market, other economic activity. And I think that the, the odds on bet right now is that we have a recession rather than we get the funds rate up to four or four and a half percent. The Great Resignation continues job openings at 11.55 million in the month of March and quits, uh, totaling four and a half million. So it just goes to show you that labor market is still tight. And if we do reach a recessionary environment, uh, would people notice it? Um, Oh, yeah, they would notice it. You know, the thing you've got to understand about um, what's going on here with uh, with with the uh, with the quit data is that people are quitting a job to take another job. You know, these are not people who are uh, quitting and and leading the labor force. They're quitting to take other jobs. They're quitting to uh, get raises, to get more money. 
And so this, this is just part of a churning on the labor market. It's not uh, quitting and walking away. It's quitting to take a new job. Bob Brusca, Chief Economist, Fact and Opinion Economics, based in New York. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, the battle of blue stocks versus red stocks. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. In 1976, NBC News executive Gordon Manning came up with an idea to make the coverage of that year's presidential election a little more exciting from a visual standpoint. And that solution was a big, giant map that would hang behind the anchors that evening and the states that voted for Republicans would light light up in blue and the states that voted for Democrats would light up in red. The color scheme has changed over the decades, but the notion of red states and blue states uh, has come to uh, dominate politics and people's sense of identity and that sense of political partisanship is now making its way into investing. Let's talk about the impact with Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and Market watch.com based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us today. When it comes to your portfolio, is it red state investing, blue state investing, or at the end of the day, money is green and that's uh, that's nonpartisan? Well, <laughs> I actually come out in the end with what you say there at the end, which is to say that uh, profits end up trumping, uh, so to speak, Trump uh, uh, politics. But it turns out yeah, it's a long path to get to that conclusion. It turns out a number of studies that I mentioned in a recent column looked at the behavior of individual investors, mutual fund advisors, as well as hedge funds, and found that uh, they were able to identify the political leaning of those managers or investors by looking at their contributions to uh, the political candidates. And if they overwhelmingly favored Republican candidates, they were considered a Republican leading manager and vice versa for Democratic, and then looked to see if there was any systematic difference on average among those different groups and found that there was a stark difference in the uh, the portfolio. So in that sense, partisanship does very much matter on Wall Street. But then the key question is, does it lead to any difference in performance? And that's where the researchers found that on average, there's no difference between the two. And you, one might think, though, when you talk about uh, the, the, the world of uh, industry and high finance, that uh, it would be a largely Republican crowd, maybe a country club Republican crowd, but a, a Republican crowd nonetheless. But are, are there uh, certain businesses or sectors uh, that are uh, demo- heavy into Democrats, uh, even though Democratic policies uh, may affect their uh, tax bill? Well, that's a good question. I mean, his, it, sort of stereotypically, I'm not sure how true it is in practice, but stereotypically, a lot of Silicon Valley is thought to be Democratic leading. And so uh, some of these Republican uh, leaning managers tend to avoid some of the uh, the high tech firms. And that, of course, over the years has probably helped the Democratic uh, leaning managers since tech stocks have done so well, though, as we know, in the last couple of months, they haven't been doing that well. But it turns out that uh, you you could say the same thing about oil stocks. Oil stocks typically or oil companies are run more by Republican uh, leaning managers, though not all of them. And indeed, over the last couple of years, except for this year, when oil stocks have done very well, of course, but uh, oil stocks haven't been doing that well. And so, you know, individual industries, you can see that it goes one way or the other. But when you take all of them together and average them, that's where the researchers found that it does not on average lead to a, there's no systematic difference between the performance of Democratic leaning and Republican leaning managers. 
Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, the local reaction to that leak of the Supreme Court draft decision involving the history-making Roe versus Wade case. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. A leaked draft opinion suggests the U.S. Supreme Court could be poised to overturn the landmark 1973 Roe versus Wade decision that legalized abortion. Let's gauge local reaction with the help of Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago business. Greg, thanks for joining us today. Last night, Mayor Lightfoot uh, registered uh, her uh, disagreement with a decision on Twitter, and then Governor Pritzker and a number of uh, state politicos gathered at the Thompson Center uh, to register their opposition to this opinion this morning. How does this uh, draft opinion, uh, if it does, uh, if it is the official opinion of the court come June, how does that uh, impact the uh, races not only for our local congressional delegation, but the race for governor? Uh, it uh, it changes the issues that uh, we, we, uh, we're going to focus on. Uh, instead of uh, things like crime and uh, and uh, uh, inflation that the Republicans have tried to uh, to put to the fore and that they want, to, want people to base their decisions on, we now have something else that affects people in a very personal and dramatic way in almost every aspect of their life. Uh, it, uh, it, it, it touches on something that's real in the core of all of us, our ability to run our lives in the way we want without politicians getting in the middle of it. Uh, and it, it presents potentially a way for Democrats who are kind of losing this election cycle, not doing very well, to really fire up their base and change the outcome, potentially. And when it comes to uh, the governor's race in Illinois, there hasn't been much in the way of polling to suggest that Governor Pritzker is in trouble. But at the same time, uh, for a lot of voters, the uh, race for governor is still very much a background thing. And probably a lot of voters haven't made a decision yet, and they haven't given it much thought. Um, the last Republican to win in Illinois, Bruce Rauner, a pro-choice Republican. Uh, a number of uh, the Republicans running for governor this year, uh, some have already come out with statements praising this uh, draft opinion. Um, can a Republican win in suburban Chicago with a uh, strong pro-life message? Uh, that is a really, really good question. Uh, I don't know that they can, uh, particularly if the Democrats uh, really sell this issue in a way they're capable of doing. Uh, uh, the point you're making is why Richard Irvin, who arguably is the front runner on the Republican side, the mayor of the mayor of Aurora, who has all this money from uh, Ken Griffin backing him, the, the Chicago hedge fund guy, um, uh, he hasn't said word one. And uh, I'm, my understanding is he's not going to say anything until uh, the excuse is, well, this decision isn't final. When it's, when it's final, we'll find out. But he's trying to walk a very a very fine line. He's trying to get through a Republican uh, primary in which some of his opponents just say he's really a Democrat. He's, he's a rhino. He's a, not a real Republican. Uh, vote for us, not for him. So he's got to appear to be conservative. But then in the general election, he's got to attract people in the middle uh, uh, and maybe some soft Democrats if he's going to beat Pritzker and not come across too strong. Uh, and abortion, you take one one wrong step on that issue and boom, it blows up on you. Uh, given all those alternatives, if people have decided to just sit and watch. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. We could talk about this for an hour because there are so oh, many yeah. different angles to explore. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Travel Tuesday, it's setting up to be a very busy and expensive summer travel season. 
lives aren't like they used to be. They're busier. Early morning Zooms, grabbing coffee to make that in-office meeting, getting to your kid's soccer game on time. Life is different, and so is advertising. To reach any audience, you need your message out there in all media, broadcast to streaming, on screens, and right to the ears of your customers. And that's what we do at Odyssey. Let's build a media campaign that targets the customers you know and want to reach more of. Right here in our community. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts calls the leak of a draft opinion on the Roe versus Wade decision, uh, potentially overturning it, that decision that legalized abortion, a betrayal of trust. A special report coming up from CBS News. In Travel Tuesday this summer, shaping up to be expensive and crowded for people taking trips and using the right credit card when booking a vacation can save money and earn rewards. WBBM business, the markets are higher. The Dow is up 169 points. The NASDAQ is up 68. And the S&P 500 is up 33. We have 48 degrees right now in Chicago with light rain topping out at 49 today. Wind chills in the 30s. It's 1231. CBS News special report. President Biden is reacting to a leaked draft opinion of the Supreme Court reported by Politico that could lead to overturning Roe v. Wade. Before boarding Air Force One this morning, Mr. Biden called it radical. It concerns me a great deal that we're going to, after 50 years, decide a woman does not have a right to choose. Recent CBS News polling suggests most Americans want the landmark abortion law to remain in place. But not everyone agrees. Randall Terry is the founder of anti-abortion rights group Operation Rescue. We will dance on the grave of Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade will be on the ash heap of history. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is now pushing to preserve it. Congress must immediately pass federal legislation protecting the reproductive rights of all Americans everywhere across this nation. If that means reforming the filibuster, then we need to reform the filibuster. CBS News special report. I'm Monica Ricks. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are a little higher today. We're joined by Bill Stone, Chief Investment Officer of the Glenview Trust Company in Louisville, Kentucky. Bill, thanks for joining us today. What is driving the markets, despite the fact that there's still a great deal of uncertainty about uh, what the Fed's going to, what their latest guidance is going to be about upcoming interest rate hikes? Yeah, I think it's two things. So one is we got a bit better than expected economic data this morning. Uh, in particular, we had a number of more job openings uh, than we were expecting. And I think, you know, with some of the worry with the most recent GDP report being negative, I think some people, I think, incorrectly got a little bit too negative about the economy. So certainly when you've got a situation where, you know, there are more job openings, uh, that is not a recession. Um, and I think, you know, we're a ways away from it. So I think there's some relief there and there was other data too, but I think in general, that's good. And I think some of it is frankly, a bit of a relief rally that, um, really a half a percentage point is already priced in for the fed actually more than priced in for the fed to raise rates tomorrow and maybe we finally at least for the day anyway we'll see what tomorrow brings but got enough priced in right so you're seeing a nice rally in the banks um you know it's really kind of everything across the board is rallying fairly well energy doing well the only place is really consumer staples and to me that's signaling maybe a little less worry about an economic slowdown 
at least for today. If uh, inflation fighting is job A, B, and C for the Fed, um, when you see these positive economic numbers, uh, factory orders higher than anticipated, uh, the number of job openings at an all-time high, the quit rate is uh, higher than it's ever been, some of those things uh, do drive inflation. So is is it kind of like good cholesterol versus bad cholesterol? I mean, do you you want to see a little bit of a slowdown to uh, relieve some of that inflationary pressure? I mean, what's the good type of economic growth there? Yeah, I mean, you're right in that sense. But I, I think the way I'm kind of maybe I'm looking at it in, a, you know, in that glass is half full is that the economy is clearly still in a state where it can withstand these price hikes or the, the rate hikes, I should say. Um, price hikes, too, I guess. But uh, speaking of the rate hikes, I think that is kind of the key. So you're right in the end. What really happens with rate hikes is it slows the economy, and that tends to then at least slow inflation, if not, you know, break it. Um, I think the the best outcome is you get kind of a ease, easy slowing, and because we've got you know a nice job market, household balance sheets are in very good shape, et cetera. You know, again, best case that can happen is maybe we can, in the long run, avoid a recession. Again, I don't think we have a recession this year, but you know, the markets look forward. Um, I think it's still low odds that we can dodge a recession in the long run, um, but hopefully it makes it so it's a fairly mild one, enough to take some inflation out of the system and get us going again. If you're an investor and uh, interest rate hikes make stocks less attractive and inflation makes bonds less attractive, uh, how do you allocate yourself right now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's still, you know, in a lot of cases, it's still you're going to have to say stocks are the you know least dirty shirt. Uh, and in the long run, stocks do very well against inflation. Again, they don't like it necessarily in the short run, but I think you look for companies that can raise prices. And again, there can be a you know mismatch over some shorter period of time, et cetera. But that's what we're spending our time on is you know a looking for companies that we don't have to worry about if we in fact go th- into recession again, worry about kind of them surviving it. And two, hopefully try and focus on companies that can pass along price increases if they get. So again, people that make things that people want, right? It's kind of that simple. And then very quickly, uh, concerns about a wage price spiral, especially with the job market as tight as it is and uh, people having the ability to ask for more money and get it. Yeah, and I think that's exactly why you're going to see the Fed continue to hike, right? I mean, that's that's what it's all about is they wouldn't mind, frankly, at this point, having a little more slack in the labor market. Um, that, yeah, that's just exactly it. I think that's why the markets have priced in essentially 10 rate hikes of, of a quarter point. Again, we'll go at quicker increments than that, but over the next 18 months. And that's exactly why. Bill Stone, Chief Investment Officer of the Glenview Trust Company in Louisville, Kentucky. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up next in Travel Tuesday, strategies for vacationing this summer and beyond. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Travel Tuesday. Bookings for flights and hotels are surging, as are the prices for them. Let's get the lay of the land from Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher of JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. Joe, thanks for joining us today. I think the first thing anyone will notice when they go on the website of an airline or a hotel, if they're trying to book a flight or maybe a hotel room for this summer, that it's a lot more expensive than it used to be. Uh, a lot, lot more expensive in many cases. More airlines than hotels, 
but certainly travel industry in general. And there's basically three reasons. It's not hard to figure out. Two years of people locked down, suddenly there is this pent-up demand just roaring to travel. Secondly, the airlines are still anywhere from 10 to 25% below the capacity from two years ago. And third, the airlines especially are facing higher jet fuel. So it's when I use the word confluence, it's never good. But those three factors come together, and it's the perfect storm of ugly for this summer, certainly. As far as the airlines are concerned, when the uh, pandemic closures arrived in March of 2020, uh, every airline mothballed its fleet, furloughed its employees, and probably with a long-term plan of not going back to 2019 levels of activity until maybe 2023 or 2024. And then, of course, the arrival of vaccines uh, definitely changed that calculus quite a bit. Um, Are airlines struggling to revise their long-term business plan, or have they just been hit by the Great Resignation? Well, it's, it's really complicated because we, it's not like we didn't give the airlines 50, 60, $70 billion to smooth out these curves. Instead, they took it and gave it back to the shareholders instead of keeping people on staff, keeping planes ready to go. The planes are there. The staff is not there, especially pilots. They really encourage pilots to retire because the pilots are the highest price. And you can't just manufacture a pilot overnight. It takes thousands of hours to be ready even under the government rules before you're trained. So they've run into this buzzsaw. They just don't have the people to expand their capacity. And we're still looking at gaps. You can't fly to, basically you can't fly to Asia now. So there are still a lot of places where the airlines can move capacity around, but we really, they really have been hit by a tidal wave of demand probably a year ahead of anybody's best guess. And the airports themselves are uh, fairly crowded as well. So if, uh, if, 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 if you want to live up to the uh, suburban dad stereotype and arrive uh, three hours ahead of time, maybe four hours ahead of time, uh, that's actually a good idea these days because airports are crowded and it takes a long time to get through security. Well, I think one thing you should do is do anything you can before you get to the airport. Check in online, get your boarding pass. And now would be a good time if you're going to fly more than once or twice in a year to look at get something like um, the pre-check from TSA or even better for $100 in five years, get global entry, which will get you into the country, back into the country faster. And that includes pre-check. And a lot of your credit cards may actually cover the cost of the application. That's probably the best way to go. And then lastly, on the hotel side of things, uh, how is that industry doing in terms of uh, bringing people back? I mean, unlike air, air, airlines, we had to bring the airplane back to actually serve customers. Those are big buildings, and they were empty for quite some time. That's true, and many in big cities are still not open. Not every hotel in Chicago is open. Not every hotel in New York is open. The problem people, travelers, are finding with hotels is that once they get there, it's not the same experience it was. Housekeeping is largely gone during your stay. The restaurants may not be open yet. Getting simple things like extra towels is now a problem. The coffee maker in your room, they may not have enough pods. Uh, In fact, that Joe sent me right now, I never promote. We have a story about specifically how to survive the hotel experience right now post-pandemic.
Joe Brancatelli, editor and publisher, JoeSentMe.com, based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Join us at this time tomorrow for Personal Finance Wednesday. And still to come, choosing the best credit card to maximize travel benefits. The only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. There are strategies that can help you get the most out of your credit cards when traveling or booking a trip. Let's get some tips from Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Anybody who has used uh, their credit card to uh, purchase an airline flight or a hotel room in recent days can tell you you're spending quite a bit of money, especially compared to what you used to spend on airfares and hotel rooms. But, Ted, there's no way you can't make that big credit card purchase just work for you. That's right. Yeah. My top tip focuses on earning and burning rewards. So basically getting all the rewards possible, whether that's booking a trip or even just your everyday spending, people can rack up a surprising number of points and miles just through everyday spending. And then when it comes time to use them, you want to make sure you're getting optimal value that might be on one of the transferable points cards. If you're willing to put in the work and get one of those cards like Amex Platinum or Chase Sapphire Reserve that has all those airline partners. But you could also keep it simple with a cashback card or more of a flat rate travel card, something like Capital One Venture. So kind of different options for different people. But uh, bottom line, as long as you're paying your bills in full and avoiding interest, it's free money. When it comes to uh, airline credit cards, you know, what are some of the better deals as far as um, not only getting perks from that airline credit card, but also getting you know, double or triple miles when you book an airline uh, trip on that card? Yeah, that's right. A couple at the top of the list would be Chase Sapphire Reserve and the Amex Platinum card. They're really good for transferable options to different airlines and hotels. They're really good about earning rewards on travel and also additional travel perks. The Sapphire Reserve has my favorite suite of travel insurance benefits, everything from rental car insurance to flight delays and lost luggage and all these different things that can go wrong. Um, So that's really good. And then the Amex Platinum has a really nice list of credits that you can take advantage of. Both cards have airport lounge access and global entry and TSA pre-check waivers. There's a lot of freebies out there. And then lastly, on the hotel side, very quickly, what are some of the uh, better cards for uh, getting a good deal or maybe an upgrade at a hotel? If you're loyal to a specific hotel brand, I actually think their card could make a lot of sense. Hyatt has a good one, Marriott, Hilton. You have to be brand loyal, but there are a lot of good perks there. Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money, and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr, and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, MoneyWise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcasts.